When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everybody. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala, and I know too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That is the premise of this program. And with me, as always, is the skeptic, the voice of the people, the audience surrogate. Does she care about the Rock Hall? It changes every week. Kristen Suttered, how's it going, Kristen? Hi, Joe. It's going okay. You know what? The cat who lives in my home is just out and about, like really doing a lot of cool stuff. So at this moment, my interest is much more in him than in the Rock Hall. And that <laughs> that's where my level's at today. I think that sums it up pretty succinctly, which is that, is there something in your immediate purview? <laughs> then you're not <laughs> interested in the Rock Hall. But if there's literally nothing else that could distract you, then perhaps we'll, we'll get your attention. Yes. I would like to bring in our guest. I'm very excited to have him with us, uh, joining us via Zoom from Seattle. Uh, he's a writer of many subjects, currently writing about sports betting, which I think is a first for this show, uh, for the <laughs> for the publication Better Collective. Mike Seeley. Hey, Mike. Hey, how are you guys doing? Very good. Thank you so much for, for joining us here today. My pleasure. My favorite topic we're about to speak of. So, Oh, yes. But before we get to that, let's start a little more generally. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is an institution for a lot of people. Peripheral doesn't do anything for a lot of people. A lot of people just completely forget about it. Coming into this show. What's your reference level for this bizarre institution? So, I mean, I, I care about it. I feel like the Rock Hall has become a bit of a diluted institution. And I would point to one particular um, inductee in uh, LL Cool J as being when I kind of stopped taking it as seriously as I used to. Interesting. And that was just yeah. this last year. So yeah. that's a recent development. May I ask why? Because he's not the first hip hop inductee. That's true. He's the worst, though, mm. um, if not mm. the first. Bold words. Did he get in for just licking his lips a bunch of times? I mean, that's my best guess. Oh, wow. I would love to point you to the episodes that we've done on this very program oh, no, about I, LL I, I, I heard them. Okay. Just not sure I agree with all of it. If you had any doubts and you were like us and you got to see him perform, and we didn't have really any doubts, but we got to see him perform at the induction and he, without question, stole the whole show. He was incredible. Absolutely like electric and- Un undeniable so undeniably talented and unreal i don't know he was so good and I, i'll i'll say this my 70 year old parents were in the audience they don't know a thing about hip-hop they're of the generation that like rap is crap you know what i mean like they don't they don't care at all and right. they came out of it being like that ll cool j is phenomenal Ooh. 
phenomenal. Oh, something like a, a phenomenon. phenomenon. Good, good for him. He was probably the most excited person to be there because it was so unbelievable that he was actually there. So, oh, you know. Shade. Oh, the shade coming. I mean, like, listen, we're not, this episode isn't devoted to trying to convert you. You have your opinions and that is fine. I, well, it's such a subjective topic. So Yeah, that you know. really, and you know, that's often why different things stick in people's craws for different reasons about this place is, yeah, because music at its heart is very subjective. How can you be objective? I mean, later I I will give it a shot with, you know, some cal- calculated <laughs> categories that I've come up with. But okay, interesting. So yeah, LL turned it a little bit for you, but per- yeah. perhaps not permanently, but you care. That puts you in a, in a position for this show way closer to me than, than Kristen on the spectrum. <laughs> well, you know, let's also, since you are new to the show and our audience doesn't know you, I think one way to do that is we can play a little bit of... Mike Seeley is a Rock Hall voter, and I'll pull up the ballot. You can pick up to five. You don't have to pick five. Who would you choose? Well, Lionel Richie. We might get to him later. A given. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, using an elastic definition of rock as any form of music, which is where I think the Rock Hall's gone. Dolly Parton, automatic, although... You guys will get to her later too. Yeah, we are. Uh, for full disclosure, our audience will have already heard all of our thoughts about the Dolly Parton developments with the Rock Hall. Although we are recording this episode before that reaction episode. Before our so. reaction episode. Yeah, and I'll have talked about it on on that show. But this show and me personally, I have never received more messages and DMs and tweets, almost from a perspective of like, help, like what is going on? <laughs> like, please explain. This is just so wild. Anyway, even knowing the the rescinding, you would vote for Dolly anyway? Yes, I would. At mm-hmm. Devo Automatic. Automatic. All Man, day. Awesome. Mm, and then it gets a little tricky. I think Beck is in. He's a guy who can play any genre of music. Yeah, very versatile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the fifth, man. I mean, then it gets a little bit hard. Annie, I don't think she's going to hate me for saying this because she would pick Duran Duran. Oh, yeah. Annie Zaleski, who, you know, <laughs> she just released a 33 and a third on Rio, known Duran Duran Stan and former guest on the show. But I'm going, ben, I'm, I'm going Benatar. Hell yeah. Of course you are. I'm going Benatar. And if, you're, if your ballot was real, we would have made sure you were voting for Benatar. <laughs> it sh- shouldn't it be real? though i mean come on and listen i you know i would give any of our guests uh, a ballot i would love to have that be a parting gift swag bag uh, oh my gosh <laughs> imagine. i mean who cares more about this than you guys come on also imagine it's like being you know if you perform on the ceremony you also get a ballot what if yes being on our show got you i mean wow i i gotta say you know dion warwick's a tough cut for me i love Myself, some Dion. And the reality is, again, if if this ballot were real, I would be pushing hard for you probably to give that Dolly slot to to Dion. She could use the vote. So to review the official Mike Seeley ballot is Lionel Richie, Dolly Parton, Devo, Beck and Benatar. Yep, that's official. Put it down in ink, folks. I think it's really interesting. I mean, not to kind of go back to this anti-LL stance, but just what the line is there for you. Is it that you don't like his music? You don't think he's a good musician or is it his genre? Like what, what's up? I don't like his music. It's that simple. I mean, I gave up on the genre bit a while ago when it comes to the rock hall. Which is the the smart thing to do. At a, at a certain point, you just become a crazy guy. The, right. the ship has sailed. So like NWA getting in, 100%. LL, down. Sometimes it comes to taste. Some, but it, you know. All, it's all taste, Kristen. I mean, I, you know. 
Okay, I guess that's what I was curious what the hard line was on that. Just seeing, hearing some of your other picks. I was like, it doesn't seem to necessarily become down to to straight genre. And so I was curious. Yeah, I mean, I I have eclectic taste. Yeah. Yeah, Like if Dion is a difficult one for you to not put in, but then you're just like, I think LL is crap because he licks his lips. I'm like, "Hmm, interesting. So, you know, kind of the first solo rap. Superstar at least. Superstar, but But interesting. Again, we, we do not need to harp on it. No, we don't. I was just kind of wondering like where you come at it from sure. I mean I, but there's other, there's other rock hall of famers that I I think are total garbage I mean I don't like the Foo Fighters I think they suck Fair. I mean, I mean, now you know. I've said my piece. On the yeah, we, we like almost <laughs> as a point of making sure we stay on track and just we went through it with the Foo Fighters last year. It's almost Foo like we, I've <laughs> done a whole month. Yeah, I made Kristen participate in something I called Foo Lai, uh, which was five weeks. of. Where do you guys land on it? I mean, I don't want to Dave Grohl dominating the conversation. I think he's a great guy. Yeah, and of course. That's another great. This is I mean, exactly where we land on it. What, what it is. It, I mean, when it comes to the Rock Hall, girls on the nominating committee Grohl is the mascot of not just the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but of rock and roll as a genre in this era. Um, he's worked with everybody. He's lovable. He's silly. And he has put out consistently solid rock music. And I like I like the Foo Fighters quite a bit. I like their music. And there's always a few tracks kind of on every album that I'm like, yeah, this is great. Even like to this day, do I think that they are Hall of Fame material? Eventually, but not first year. First I, year. I, that's where the big problem comes yeah. in. Like eventually, absolutely, for sure. But, you know, Radiohead didn't get in in their first year. So that's bull, like, that's are we bull. saying, yeah. are we really going to, you know, two artists have been uh, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice on their first year of eligibility. One is... John Lennon, Solo, and the Beatles. And the other one is Dave Grohl with Nirvana and Foo Fighters. That's and so when you, put that, when you put that comparison, like the hallowed ground, but we're not here to talk about last year's inductees. And we're not here to talk about LL. We're not here to talk about DG. We are here to talk about Lionel motherfucking Richie. Yeah, Sir Lionel Richie. It's a knighthood in Seattle. I will divulge that it was not obvious who to talk to about Lionel Richie. You know, he is not the type of artist that gets a full article talking about his legacy in The Ringer or on Pitchfork or wherever. He is not often the subject of serious journalism. You know, there have been books written, but long ago and, you know, not within the past 20 years. I had to put on my my sleuthing cap. And I had to get down to business and see if I could find somebody out there who had the passion for Lionel Richie that this episode required. And Mike, I stumble upon your Twitter. And when you type in from colon MD Sealy and then Lionel Richie, you scroll. There is so much here. You've got the love. You've written about the man many times. You is proselytize the right word? Like you, Ooh, are, you that sounds ver- right. At the very, uh, maybe that sounds uh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But you, pre- you preach the gospel. You know, I'm saying a lot here, but I want in your words 
what Lionel Richie means to you? Well, I mean, you know, to, to distill it will be interesting. But I mean, when I was growing up in North Seattle, my dad had kind of an original man cave, a den is what they called it back then. And mm-hmm. he had Charlie Pride and Lionel Richie in abundance. Mm-hmm. And um, I consumed that voraciously, loved them both, have spoken to them both. It's just kind of the soundtrack of my childhood. And then I had an opportunity when I was in St. Louis writing for the Riverfront Times where Annie Zaleski wrote too for a while to interview him. And uh, he wasn't playing and he wasn't even playing in the United States at that point. He was playing gigs in Germany and Europe. And I convinced my editor to let me write about him because he was playing St. Louis's sister city in Germany and um, had a great conversation with him at kind of the nadir of his career. And what, what, what year are we talking? Probably talking four oh five. Mm-hmm. Like I said, not even booking theater gigs in the States, but still pretty popular in Europe. He was kind of like a, a Hasselhoff type figure at that point. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And it was a great conversation with him, was always rooting for him. And then it was almost as though, I think it was like the early 2010s, he got kind of resuscitated by country music. Yeah. Um, they had the Lionel Richie special he put out, Tuskegee which is his album of just his own hits with duets with country stars that did really well. And, you know, now he's touring around the world again and he's on American Idol, which, you know, you can dismiss that as cheesy, but I don't know if it's as cheesy as it used to be with the way, you know, musicians have to market themselves these days. You know, totally, totally. I mean, like that it's a, it's a Mm -hmm. savvy move. And you're right, like hosting a show like that at one point was considered to be a step down. But I mean, across the board, musicians and actors, like Academy Award winning actors host game shows now. Right. And so hosting American Idol is just, it's visibility, it's great publicity. And because of it, he can go on and does go on like Jimmy Kimmel, like with regularity. He's super funny in concert and the guy's still got it, man. I mean, I can't say that about a lot of, musicians his age i went and saw hall and oats and in spite of the fact that grown women were throwing panties at daryl hall <laughs> he can't hit anywhere near the notes he used to lionel that is, my mom lionel sticks that. it my mom was very disappointed by a recent hall and oats concert going yep. experience but i do know people who've seen lionel in the past like five years and have thought it was a really great time he's fantastic it's not like with hall notes it's not like oats is picking up the slack i mean he's like the least important member that you, you can't really uh count on oats sadly no. but also lionel doesn't have to really hit any high notes his his music never like it was never about his like operatic range or his like falsetto that's, that's true it's all, it's all pizzazz mm-hmm. I, I believe he he thinks of himself as a stylist it's not about the the range or you know his acrobatic vocals it's it's about how he does it in his in his own way agreed before we continue you know you had brought something up to me that i want to make sure we touch on which is you know you write uh, about sports betting. And I want to give you the opportunity to, as best you can, in whatever way you can, incorporate that into our discussion about Lionel in whatever way you want to. Well, I'd love to. I mean, I think the next time the America's Cup rolls around, that's the sport Lionel Richie would probably most want to bet on. Because I think that sport is the most, you know, competitive sailing 
is probably the sport that's most uh, receptive to crew neck sweaters and capizios, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, you know, that brings up another issue. I mean, is the, is the rock hall ready to induct a dude with a rolled up crew neck sweater on at least one of his album covers? That's yeah. not very rock. It isn't. You very know. yacht rock though. True. Mm-hmm. And it's soft maybe, rock. Yeah. yeah maybe so more rock. yacht, maybe more yacht than rock. Yeah. Lionel is to me like the king of adult contemporary. Mm-hmm. You I know, mean, the king though. So, Right. It, you know, if you're going to encompass all genres, which the rock hall is seeking to do, got to rope that guy in. Might have to rope John Tesh in, you know? Careful, careful. <laughs> oh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> but let's, uh, you know, there is, I will talk about his solo career. That's what's being nominated here on the ballot. But there is a, a good amount of stuff to cover of his musical career, obviously, before the solo career happens. I mean, obviously he was in the Commodores. Right. You know, it was kind of a question, you know, on this show when we try to like predict and think about who could get in, like, would it be the Commodores or would it be Lionel Solo? And, you know, I, I if I had to guess, I would have said the Commodores because of what we're, we were just saying, which is that the Commodores have an edge to them for sure. I mean, they are like, some of those songs are nasty brick house yeah brick house like dripping with mm-hmm. with sex 36 24 36 what a winning hand she's a which feels very rock and roll in comparison to the softer ballads of Lionel Richie so I would have guessed Commodore's made a little bit more sense but I guess as like the hall pivots to populism pivots to just sometimes strictly pop and with it I mean, I'm saying in many different ways, popularity, I guess I could see, you know, Lionel Richie was the huge name. Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate that only his solo work is part of the consideration because I I actually think his two best songs were with the Commodores, although they felt like Lionel Richie solo productions with Sail On. Easy. Those feel like solo Lionel Richie songs versus yeah, Commodore it, songs. You it know? was like what was to come. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. So I don't know. I mean, you know, they can say they're only taking his solo career into account, but I don't necessarily think you can blank out what someone did prior to that. That's going to seep into your your thinking and your voting. And I kind of hope it does in this case, because those are some killer songs. You know, yeah. very much a Stevie Nicks type of. Exactly. Um, Good comparison. Consideration that will be made. I think when people see the name Lionel Richie on the ballot, they are thinking of Easy as one of his songs. They're not thinking of it like, oh, only Hello and Beyond or whatever. Yeah, the, the but the distinction being that Fleetwood Mac had already been in by the time Stevie Nicks yes. came up for solo consideration. And in this case, my worry is that if Lionel gets in solo, the priority for getting the Commodores in is going to be pretty low. Yeah, I got to be honest, guy. I mean, I, if I were to handicap as, as a sports betting writer, if I were to actually handicap his odds of getting in on this ballot, I'm not super confident. I don't know. How do you guys feel? I would bet on it. You bet on him getting in? Yeah, I would. Because when sometimes when it comes down to it, who are the big names that everybody knows? Like that's 
bottom line, if you want to predict who's going to get in, that's going to help you. I don't know that necessarily he has momentum. I mean, he was at the, he was at the induction ceremony last year, but he's just like you were saying, he can do the press rounds and like be very charming and likable. I think he's a very likable guy who's very famous and has high, high name recognition. And I think that that goes a long way. And he was there last year inducting one of the most like beloved industry people. Mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, he's looking good. I hope you guys are right. I just, uh, I don't know. I love him so much. I guess I'm, I'm just not that confident. And maybe there's a little self-preservation there. You don't want to get your hopes too high. Yeah, I want to go uh, on the show again when he's nominated again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, let, let's talk about the Commodores a little bit. They were a group that came out of Tuskegee and then signed with Motown. And, you know, they were, they were a funk outfit, you know, and Lionel was not always the lead singer. Famously in the song Brick House, that is not Lionel Richie singing. That doesn't stop him from performing it in concert as though he was the guy singing. Yeah. Which, you know what? At that point, like he played on it. He was involved. It's like, I think that's okay. I like the idea of him doing Brick House solo. But he was occasional singer and saxophone player in the Commodores. Yeah, people get really pissed off that he left. I don't know. I have mixed emotions about it. I'm not the biggest, I got to be honest, I'm not the biggest Commodores historian. I mean, my passion's <laughs> not with them like it is with Lionel. But I don't know. I mean, people equate it with Peter Cetera leaving Chicago or something, which sort of cracks me up. I actually played in a Peter Cetera cover band, you guys. Whoa. Called Ed Cetera. <laughs> Yeah, no, really. I knew the whole show would be Glory of Love. Like, what, well, are, you, no. what are you doing with the no, Peter Cetera cover? I mean, reenacted the Karate Kid scene with like crane kicks mm-hmm. during during the show. That's great. But you you did start to see flashes of what the Lionel Richie solo career would be. You know, they were a funk outfit, but you do, yeah, you got Easy is you know very notable as a song that had a different vibe to it, was not this upbeat funk song. It was a, a little bit slower and softer. And then, and which, you know, it was a big hit for them. It went a to number four. A bit easier, you might yeah, say. Thank you, Kristen. You're welcome. <laughs> and uh, it went to number four, but then I feel like the biggest departure and their biggest hit was Three Times a Lady. You once, twice, three times. And, you know, that song was so different that when he wrote it, he didn't even think the Commodores would want to play it. He thought like he could give it to like Frank Sinatra. Dang. Because it's it has that type of feel to it. I'm trying to think about how that would turn out. The name three times a lady sounds like a standard. Yes, it does. It's it's it feels like it's in the wheelhouse of of that type of song. Uh, and but that was the first number one hit for the Commodores. And so then their hand was kind of forced because that was a lucrative way to go for them, kind of at the chagrin of the rest of the band who wanted to do their fun funky music who wanted to play that funky music <laughs> you know interesting that you say that well because i that mean originally gonna be a commodore song well so that song's by a band called wild cherry you listen to a song called uh, slippery when wet by the commodores It is 
almost note for note. What metal band recorded an album called Slippery Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi. Oh God, another horrible fucking. Also, the fact that you called <laughs> them metal. I'm, yeah, I me- metal can't is uh, generous. <laughs> okay, Bon Jovi might be the worst rock hall inductee. Ever. I mean, also, listen, how we're not upsetting that I quickly knew it was a Bon Jovi. It's a huge album. album. That's a, hu- it's absolutely a huge, absolutely huge album. Very big album, though. What a shit band, man. So <laughs> I have a good, I have a good John Bon Jovi story, though. Please go ahead. So I was uh, walking around like the West Village with my family, and we passed John Bon Jovi just kind of walking by himself on a really quiet street. And I'm like, whoa, that's John Bon Jovi. And we got maybe I don't know, like 20 yards from him. I turned around and I'm like, hey, you're halfway there. And he turned oh, around oh. And, and laughed. Yeah. Was well received. Yeah. <laughs> All That's right. great. But but you begrudge him his rock hall uh, induction. He didn't hey, begrudge nice you. Nice guy. Horrible horrible band yeah we we horrible. you know all True accounts garbage. a fine decent man don't ever want to listen to his music truly feel oh. that way yes fucking terrible <laughs> but you know lionel richie was he was getting a name for himself as like a reliable hit maker within the commodores with those songs that we mentioned and they didn't always want to record the slow ballads that he wrote and there was one in particular that he wrote in 1980 that the commodore said no to and then he heard kenny Rogers was looking for a song. Lady. And so he gave him Lady. Lady. I'm your knight in shining armor and I love you. Man, what a combo, Kenny and Lionel. That's why the love came back to him from the country music community. Yeah. And that song was gigantic. Yeah. And not only gave Kenny Rogers his only solo number one on the pop charts, but it also, it established Lionel as, you know, a songwriter beyond just the Commodores. That song is the number 10 biggest song of the decade, of the 80s. And really, we have two artists on the ballot this year who helped to take Kenny Rogers to number one on the pop charts. Wow, Dolly and Lionel. His only two times at the top of the Hot 100 were Lady and Islands in the Street. So we got a lot of Kenny Rogers assists on the ballot. We do. Well, and, you know, we have a gambling expert. <laughs> <laughs> Apropos. Uh, I wouldn't recommend gambling like Kenny in that movie, but so I'm in, so I'm in, uh, I'm waiting for my daughter to finish lacrosse practice yesterday and it was pouring rain. I'd usually take a walk, but instead I went into a nearby bar, a honky tonk, Lily white clientele and Ceylon comes on. And it just kind of struck me like, Man, what other African-American artists could you could just throw on his tone? It just feels right at home in a honky tonk. And that's kind of where maybe I'm wrong about my prediction that he might not get in. He just appeals to so many different kinds of people. I think you're right. Um, totally. And, and it really super hit home yesterday when I'm sitting there having like a Bud tall boy with people whose necks, you know, might be a little bit red. <laughs> You know, who are just loving it, you know, loving Lionel. He's yeah, the guy, you know. Right. Um, so I think that sort of transcendence probably gives you guys a better shot at being correct in your prediction than than me. He's hard to hate. Yeah. You know, I think the the critics in particular might have a, a issue if it's a like longstanding grudge, but I, you know, I want to make a note of something. So we've talked about the song Lady. And we've talked about uh, three times a lady. Mm. A lot of ladies. And lady would not be the last time that he would have a hit song with lady in the title. And in fact, three 
Times A Lady song was made a hit by Lionel Richie. The aforementioned two songs, but also a great jam from the Commodores, a song he didn't write, but he does sing lead called Lady You Bring Me Up. Uh, which went to number eight. I think that song is in- incredible. I'm not like a Lionel hater, you know, especially when it comes to like the Commodore stuff and things. I think mm-hmm. it's a little bit softer than I. I like my I like my soul funky. I don't tend to like it in as breezy as we get from a Lionel Richie joint. Uh, sure. So yeah, I'm not a hater though. Just not really my thing. Mm-hmm. And then like the kind of last thing, the thing that really brings Lionel out of the Commodores and into the solo career is, you know, he has a massive hit by doing a duet with Diana Ross in 1981, mm-hmm. the theme song for the movie Endless Love. So I think of it as the theme song to the movie Happy Gilmore. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the first time I heard that song. Yeah, you know, friends listening to my age. In the dark. Another huge number one hit, still the biggest single for both of them, Lionel Richie and Diana Ross. It's the biggest duet of all time. It is the number three biggest song of the 80s. And I will keep going back to how many of the songs of the 80s that Lionel can take claim to. I just think it's interesting just thinking about kind of like the traditional love song, the love duet, the ballad duet. It is a lost art form. It is not, (laughs) it does not really exist anymore in that same way. I think there are some more, like I would say that maybe there are some that still exist like in Spanish that cross over into kind of like, pop music and pop culture, but mostly a sincere love ballad duet. When's the last, I mean, even just a sincere love ballad full stop, you're not getting many of those, but boy, the radio was just chock full of sincere, slow burning candles, you know? Yeah. You'll see it though. Every once in a while, if you listen to modern country, like Mm. Jason Aldean, that's probably where I do not dare to tread. And I think (laughs) that's that's where it's happening. That's where it's happening. That that is. Yeah. But I mean, and I got to imagine the success of endless love spawned, like we got to get duets. Duets are huge. They're happening. We got to get them out there. I wouldn't be shocked if that's what what catapulted that in that era. But yeah, that's that song was so so huge, and it's really that success of endless love. And the fact that he had written "Lady" and you know a lot of attention was going to him. He was still in the Commodores. He didn't necessarily want to leave the Commodores, but people were starting to talk about the band like Lionel Richie and the Commodores and reviews of their concerts would be like, yeah, they did stuff for 30 minutes before Lionel sat down at the piano and we got to hear him. And, you know, it obviously caused a lot of friction in that band and a solo career was happening whether he wanted it or not. And so he kind of took the chance. Now, were they like, put? they were kind of all pals. How did the Commodores kind of, do you know anything about the origin of the Commodores? I guess I'm just thinking of it like- school 
at Tuskegee, I believe. And then just like one of them has this great songwriting talent and becomes the unwitting superstar of the group. It is like kind of like the generous, nice narrative that they would show in a film about a biopic for him or something, right? And it's yeah. like, was he writing most of the Commodore songs at that point as well? Was he like the Commodore songwriter or were they writing together as a band? I think many members of the Commodore of the Commodores were writing beyond just him. He was the one writing the huge pop ballads. So he's out there peddling these soft songs also to other people if his funky friends don't want to get down on it. And then, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just a cool way to say it. <laughs> yeah, different band, but. Uh, no, I know. It's, it's a cool with a K way to say it. Um, there thank you go. You. There you go. But he's maybe, I don't know, got these songs inside of him. I guess to me, these are such commercial songs you know it doesn't feel like maybe he sat down and was like i gotta get this out you're three times a lady i just need to I mean, let you know three, girl i think maybe? three times a lady was like inspired by his dad's toast to his mom at at some event oh okay and so that's like sweet he heard him say like you know you're a great wife you're a great mother and you're just a great lady. And that's so three, that's three. Count them it three. Is. So, Count and them. like, I don't doubt the sincerity of Lionel in, in writing these songs. So we've made our way to Lionel's solo career. Before we go any further, let's take a quick break. We'll tease, you know, we got, people know if they listen, we got some categories coming up. So we're going to take a break. And then when we come back, we'll see how Lionel Richie stacks up in my little categories. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We hope you had a nice break. We hope over your break. You um, declared your love to someone you just met. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. We hope you did it. Um, So as I teased before the break, My categories, if you're not familiar, this all comes from the fact that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame does not really ever say what makes an artist induction worthy. We're kind of left guessing. The only real eligibility is it has to be 26 years after the first released recording. Beyond that, who knows? But possibly we knows? That's right. (laughs) I have reverse engineered a list of categories. I think if you do well in them, you have a decent shot at induction. Before we get into that with Lionel, let's just quickly do some housekeeping. This is Lionel Richie's first nomination, first time on the ballot. Eligible since 2007, uh, if you consider the Endless Love, even though it was a duet, was in 1981. The first album was 82. I'm not entirely sure what the rules are about duets. I figured that is kind of the, the point when his solo career begins. And his only other real connection to the Rock Hall is that he was there last year. He inducted Clarence Avant in the Ahmet Erdogan category non-performer award and gave a great speech. That's his first uh, appearance at, at a ceremony? That yeah. you, that you, wow, okay. I mean, as far as I know, which is kind of surprising. Yeah. All right, let's get into it. First category, iconic slash recognizable songs. And I think this is up for debate, but I will say in the order that I think in terms of recognizability, in terms of how often you hear them now, to me, the biggest one is All Night Long. Fiesta forever. 
I think it's my personal pick for my favorite. It's, and I think the radio is probably more prone to playing the more upbeat Lionel songs. You know, if you're listening to like an all eighties weekend, like all night long is probably going to come on. And I want to be proper. It is all night long parentheses all night. All night. <laughs> <laughs> all night long went to number one on the pop charts. The number 20 song of the eighties. Uh, so I believe that is our, at this point, third entry in the uh, top 20 of the eighties. I want to quickly pin something that I thought was interesting. Lionel Richie is huge in the Middle East. He is gigantic in Iraq. And the day that the troops entered Baghdad, the American troops, the Iraqi people played for the American troops all night long by Lionel Richie. Wow. And and this was something I think Lionel himself learned probably around this time. Big in the Middle East. And then that's cool. But also there is some shit where it's like he played for Gaddafi once. Oh, dear. Which is, you know, I guess a gig's a gig. Uh, but also he's done like private events for Saudi royals. And ah, sketchy. I got to imagine ungodly amounts of money for those gigs. Mm-hmm. Lots of big stars do it. And, you know, it's I just think it's interesting, like around the time of the beginning of the Iraq war, articles started to pop up because people were learning like, oh, for some reason, Lionel Richie is like a god here. And people who do not speak English can sing full Lionel Richie songs all the way. That's wild. Yeah. And you know what? I think I love it. I love it as a fun fact. I don't love it as like in practice, you know, I just, yeah, yeah. It's, it's problematic. All right. Well, Mike, I want to give you, I mean, I said what I thought was the big iconic recognizable Lionel Richie song. I'm curious what your pick is. I think your pick was excellent. And I'm not saying my pick is more right, mm-hmm. but for me, it's hello. Hello. Is it me you're looking for? And not just because of the song, but because of the clay bust of his head in the video with the <laughs> blind woman. Yeah. He came up in the MTV era, and that was a unique, if exceptionally cheesy video. That you can't, uh, you can't, you know, unsee that. Oh, well, the blind woman can, but I mean, <laughs> most people can't. Yeah. So, you know, I know that video from like, I love the 80s. It was considered a big enough kind of uh, not just video, but also kind of a joke that the bust is is bad. <laughs> the bust, the clay bust that the blind woman makes is not great. And Lionel's story is funny, which is that like, he kind of kept going up to the director and was like, hey, uh, this bust isn't very good. And it was like, hold on, we're still setting up. And he'd come back and he'd be like, so are we going to, you know, do something about how the bust doesn't look like me? And it's like, yeah, hold on, we'll get to it. And then she was like, uh, you know, I'm, I, I, I feel like the bust doesn't look like me. And the director just went, Lionel, she's blind. But that's how she fell in love with him was touching the bust and saying, oh, I like these facial features. I mean, it sort <laughs> of set the tone for Ghost. If you guys think about it, I mean, in terms of making clay sexy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was that was an important checkpoint on the path. To I think Swayze just studied that video to come up with those uber sexy scenes with Demi Moore. Now, uh, was Hello used in a commercial in the yes. 90s? Yes. 
Okay. And, like, it was. It, not and, just and, like, then, but like commercial or something like a parody. It is like used a in a lot commercial. of commercials to this day still. Okay. Cause yeah. that is how I learned about that song was like, yeah. it was like a parody commercial in the nineties. I want to say. Oh yeah. I, and like, again, I think it is hello is a song that commercials I think will always go back to. Like, I think it is a staple and I think now we, and I don't think I even feel like I hear hello on the radio that much anymore, but it will stay in the public consciousness, if not for commercials, other things. It is played in the movie Studio 666. Speaking of the Foo Fighters, it's in the oh, Foo wow. Fighters movie. And so is Lionel Richie. It's played in Iraq too. I mean, that's important. <laughs> yeah. You know. That's actually what they played for the Iraqi troops when they showed up. They played Hello. They were like, we're here. But that's another one that went to number one. Another song that I feel like I hear a good amount, and again, it's another one of Lionel's up-tempo songs, is You Are. You are the sun. You are the rain. That's a real fun one. Uh, that one went to number four. And yeah, it, it, that's definitely, that's a groove. That's that is a groove. Now, I think too, in particular, sorry to just pop it back to hello really fast, which is no, to ahead. say that I think hello is more like culturally ubiquitous, but it's less known as a song. I think it's known as like an idea. It's kind of transcended being a, a song. No, that, that's a great point. So yeah. many mm-hmm. commercials. Yeah. And, and, and also, I think it got a little bit of a bump when Adele's hello came out. Mm hmm. Because the way she says hello at the beginning is nearly identical to the way Lionel does it. Hello. I mean, talk about a duet that needs to happen. Oh, I mean, yeah. Lionel and Adele. I mean, I'm not talking about covering Endless Love. I want them to come up with their own unique creation. Uh, I want them to say hello to each other. I want hello, <laughs> and then the other one says hello back. Give me a conversation. You do a mashup is what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, hey. With regards to you are... I would like to say that that is a song I did not know was Lionel Richie. I Mm. I can hear it now when you say it. I'm like, oh yeah, that's Lionel Richie. And this is, I come in very low information on this kind of artist uh, episode, but I will say like, yeah, if you told me that was Lionel Richie, I'd be like, of course. But to me, that song, it just sounds like the 80s. You know, it sounds like a fun, upbeat. <laughs> the sunny artist is just 80s. The 80s. It sounds like, you know, 80s compilation. Now that's what I call 80s. Something like that is what it feels like to me. No shade on that. But I just mean, like, I didn't specifically know that that was a Lionel Richie song. Interesting. It's a great one. And I really like it. Totally. Next, I think I would say Dancing on the Ceiling. And that's a song that went to number two. And, and I know that that song was much maligned critically, but you know, that's one I think is fun. It's super fun. And I, I think it's the ultimate cocaine anthem of the eighties. And I think mm-hmm. the reason why it got trashed is a lot of critics were doing a lot of cocaine and didn't want to acknowledge that that was in their life at the time. So it's too close to home, really you know, close to home. I mean, it was unabashedly about blow. See, I, took it very literally because it was in the movie break into electric boogaloo and they do literally dance on the ceiling in it and i thought that's what this song is about i want to say in the video there's like a very cheesy effect where like he's flipped yeah. upside down it's and the he's same dancing thing on the ceiling. they do in the movie yeah i think of lionel is so wholesome that i'm wondering if the cocaine read is not his intention 
No, I don't think of him as wholesome. Didn't his second wife beat the shit out of him because he was cheating on her? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, his wife, yeah, his wife did. I believe they were separated to some degree, but she did. Um, I'm not faulting her for that. I mean, maybe yeah. I would have done the same thing if I were her. But yeah, it was rough stuff with that. Ugly. Like it was on the street kind of thing. And yeah, that did that did shatter, I guess, the, the wholesome image. Yeah, I, don't, I never thought of him as wholesome. I mean, a guy with a mustache like that. <laughs> You know, but but his, I guess his his songs I think of as could be kid friendly, and I guess "Dancing on the Ceiling" is the type of song where a kid could hear it and think of it literally, and then the adults like could me. wink. Well, yeah. how about how about James Taylor? I mean, you listen to his music and you're thinking this is the most wholesome guy on the planet. That was not the truth. No, oh, yeah, I mean he was very much a major heroin addict. Matthew Perpetua. Uh, recent guest on the show did a BuzzFeed article from forever. I literally just Googled dancing on the ceiling about cocaine. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and he wrote a BuzzFeed list of 17 hits that are not so secretly about drugs. And oh, number, okay. nine number nine says a lot of songs from the eighties are, were in some way influenced by cocaine. This one is widely believed to be about getting coked up. Interesting. It's another top 20. Joe, what about cocaine? Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of, of the top 20, the number 19 song of the 80s, and that this is the fourth song uh, of his in the, in the top 20 of the 80s, number one hit, Say You, Say Me. Say you, say me. Say it for always. That's the way it should be. Oh, yeah. White Knights. It won Lionel and Oscar. It was over the credits of a movie called White Knights. Gregory Hines and Mikhail Baryshnikov. Is that right? It was a a dancing movie. Baryshnikov and and Gregory Hines. Yeah. Not on the soundtrack, weirdly enough. During the credits? It's over the credits, but Motown was like... So this was the first song after Can't Slow Down, which was, you know, this massive success. And, And Motown said, we are not going to let this your next huge song be on another label and be on the soundtrack and so even though it was for the movie and it won an oscar for best song uh it was not on the soundtrack what album did that go on then dancing on the ceiling yeah the third yeah the third one dancing on the ceiling as i looked it up (laughs) yeah that's a karaoke favorite of mine you guys say you say me oh yeah it's right in like the baritone wheelhouse. Would you guys agree with me that you don't hear that one though? I'm trying to imagine. Yeah. I'm trying to remember how it goes. It was such a big hit at the time. Again, number 19 song of the 80s. But I, yeah, I just feel like it does, it does not have the staying power of some of the songs that we have already said for whatever reason. Kristen, I can sing a little, di- I can sing a little stanza. Do you want it? Yes. Say you, say me, say it for always. Oh, that's the way it should be. And yeah. that, see the, oh, oh, that's a Lionel Hallmark noise in a lot of his songs. Yes. Now it's coming back to me. And you know where I think I've heard it mostly? Karaoke. I do hear that song at karaoke a fair yeah. amount. Here's a song that uh, when we talk about his his kind of country twang, his country appeal, Stuck on You. Stuck on you. Got this feeling down deep in my soul that I just can't lose. Guess I'm on my way. Went to number three and true country appeal, number 24 in the country charts. What on earth is that song? You will recognize Stuck on You. And I don't know why. And I don't know why I recognize it because I didn't think I knew it. But it, it had a lot of plays on Spotify. 
and I listened to it and I immediately recognized it. Stuck on you. That sounds like a country song. I, I, Cause it, I'm on my way. I just knew that. Uh, I know that part, what you just did. Yeah. I've heard that. Well, that's uh, then maybe that's enough. Okay. Stuck on you. He's always had that country appeal. I mean, he's from Tuskegee. And my love. My love. that on the radio the other day went to number five just thinking about you baby i'm like what on earth is this song i think you'll know it the thing about some some of these like you know ballads and, and slower ones is like they don't have the biggest hook to them and a lot of them are, are kind of in a similar zone but it's the difference in some of the phrasing and like you know they're obviously different songs but i don't know that song but it does sound a lot like easy like sunday morning and i would definitely think that was lionel richie if i heard mm -hmm. it well guys that speaks to his strength that he can make these kind of subtle hooks into mega hits i mean there's not a lot of artists yeah. that can do that you know that's an interesting point yeah that, that he it doesn't require a big complicated hook he can kind of slide one past you and you want to hear it a lot it just requires a great mustache which i think might be also one of his biggest appeals and maybe pushes him over the top when it comes to the vote he's got a great mustache one one of the great ones and you know an underrated one an underlooked one we we go to selick often but you know lionel needs to yeah we don't give enough love to the lionel mustache that's right i think that's something i'm really going to take away from this episode <laughs> it's just consistent i mean it's so consistent yeah he's still got one and he still looks great lionel's first number one solo hit i don't know at all but it's called oh, And this is one where I feel like I tried to listen to it and listening to this, it sounded like My Way almost by Sinatra. I need to tell you this. There's no other love like your love. So now the end is near and so I face the final curtain. Like he has this thing that he's almost writing standards. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, is is there a case to be made that Lionel Richie, given his longevity, is in fact the black Sinatra? Is that just going way too far? No, I mean, like, I don't know how, how much you're kidding and how much you're for no, real. No, I'm but sort like, of being like, serious. I yeah. mean, I'm not going to go out and write a Lionel Richie has a cold piece, but I mean, you know, um, <laughs> that, I mean, who else really, I mean, who else would you put in that category? Like Sammy Davis Jr., Sinatra's contemporary, but he's not Sinatra. I don't know who else you, I mean, he's a classic balladeer. Yeah, but Frank Sinatra wasn't writing his songs at and all. And that's, a, that's Me, a point. That's what makes him way different. And I'm not, oh boy, my grandpa is literally rolling over in his grave right now. <laughs> Yeah, just let it let, let loose. I don't think Frank Sinatra is all that. Um, I don't. But obviously, I, meant a lot to a lot of meant people. Meant a lot no to doubt. a lot of people, and I think maybe he's gotten kind of confused in some symbolism. But I think that Lionel Richie is like a much more interesting talent than a Frank Sinatra was, and I think. Kind of yeah, I agree. I agree with you. I just you know if you talk about symbolism and the the classic balladeers, I mean Lionel. 
is in that zone that just not a lot of male singers are anymore. Well, mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, Dion Warwick is more of a like Sinatra as far as like a, a smooth, wonderful interpreter, interpreter. of song mm-hmm. that to me is she feels much more uh, locked in on that. That's a good, that's a great point. Yeah. I don't know who you could really compare Lionel to. He's like kind of, it's really interesting to have a black singer with such country appeal and then also who writes soft rock kind of hits for white artists as well. You know, it's a very interesting, he's crosses over into three markets, if you will, kind of like mainstream pop music. Then there's like soul music and then country. It, it's a pretty- And don't forget, int- he's the king of adult contemporary. Yes. You know? I, I, I mean, like, it. honestly, when you break it down by charts, the adult contemporary chart is the one I mean, like, and he did great in the pop charts. But you look at the adult contemporary and you're like, oh, yeah, this guy hits a home run for the adult. Yeah, contemporary chart I mean, I think he like it, it's the way that I'm like, oh, Lionel Richie is the 80s. I'm like, also, he, he is adult contemporary. Mm-hmm. Like, there are very few artists that you would put higher up on an adult contemporary, you know, Rushmore. All-stars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, that, that sounds like a fun topic. Adult yeah. contemporary Mount Adult Rushmore. Contemporary maybe that's for another show. Maybe that's for another that's show. That's probably for another show. We'll, we'll yeah. pin that. Uh, should we want to get back to it? And, and listen, Lionel had a handful of other songs that charted in the top 10, but by my estimation, those are the ones that are most known. And then we do need to take a second to talk about We Are the World. Uh huh. Can you spare a second for We Are the World? Can you? Do you have it in your heart to spare a second for USA for Africa? We Are the World was written by Lionel and Michael Jackson. It coming together was in large part because of Lionel Richie and his manager. You know, this song, here's another song that was huge and is the fastest selling American pop single in history. First single ever to be certified multi-platinum went four times platinum. And Lionel gets the first line. There comes a time when we heed a certain call when the world must come together as one. The very first line of We Are the World is Lionel. Huge. Iconic, as you might argue. Yeah, would I would say so. I think We Are the World is the type of song that is less than the sum of its parts. I think it's, <laughs> I, you know what I mean? Like, I think its parts are really, like, impressive and amazing. And, like, what they were able to do and the fact that they get them all in the same room is really cool. I don't think the song is like anything super special. It's like the NBA all-star game. I mean, it mm-hmm. you got the best players in the world and it's just, just, Everyone's just trying not to get injured. Yeah. yeah that's pretty, that's a great, that's a great analogy. I got to say, I mean, I, you know, if you don't listen to the lyrics that much, Feed the World, the British answer to that is just a much tighter groove. Than oh, yeah, that song, that song rocks. Do they know it's Christmas? Yeah. yeah. Came first, came before We Are the World. Wow. Did it really? We Are the World was like, we can do that in America. And because you actually, know. we are the world. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but you know, the, and so it was like I, this idea is is a good one, and we're so going to. Who wrote "We Are the World"? Uh, Lionel. Lionel and Michael. Lionel and Michael wrote it together. Mm-hmm. They said, "We've cracked the code. This is the sound of the '80s. Here we go. Let's get everyone in a room." I mean, it was impressive. They got yeah. a lot of. I mean, 
Bob Dylan is in there, uh, you know, famously, famously at the end, you hear him and it's unmistakably Bob Dylan. But, you know, they got Ray Charles as well. They got Stevie Wonder and Diana Ross and some there are some names in in there. Cindy has has quite a verse. You know, Kenny's got to be in the mix. Lionel's involved. Springsteen was in there, too. Yes. Oh, and he's got quite a moment, especially in the video where his, his like eyes are closed and. We are the world. Imitating Jimmy Fallon, imitating him. Pretty <laughs> yeah, much, b- before know? Fallon, yeah. yeah, was out of high school. Do you guys and listen, Lionel Richie was involved in We Are the World 25. Do you guys remember this? Did it was they for... do a song again with more oh contemporary God. artists? Kristen, that is exactly what happened. I don't remember that at all. Oh, I mean, I don't involved. remember. I you guys, like, we we can't spend too much time on it because, again, <laughs> this is another thing we could spend a whole episode on. But this was for the Haiti earthquake. And it is, in the video, Lionel's involved but he doesn't sing. Bieber has the first line. There comes a time when we hit a certain call. Oh, God. Uh, and kind of before Bieber was Bieber, and it really could have gone either way. It really could have blown up in their face, but it ended up being like, you know, he's, he's famous. Nicole Scherzinger has like a prominent, has like very prominent lines, which is strange. People like Josh Groban. For some reason, when they pull older artists, it's people like Barbara Streisand. What? Adam Levine. Oh. Wait, I'm seeing that there's raps on here. Oh, so I'm it, seeing it that works. there's a ton of raps. Kristen, towards the end, it gets very, kind of the whole thing is kind of auto-tune-y, but they, they do an auto-tune trifecta of Lil Wayne, Akon, and T-Pain. And then a new verse, because they were doing the old, it's like a cover, and then they have new rap lyrics. We all need somebody that we can lean on when you wake up, look around and see that your dreams gone. And listen... This is, I, I hate to have to say this in front of Mike, but it, the charge is led by LL Cool J. Of course it is. Hell yeah. My and Will I Am. And Will I Am's oh the Snoop Dogg. And I see that Kanye is on here. Kanye, and so Kanye King gets Cuddy. his own thing. He like kind of closes it out with a bunch of verses. And this is like my beautiful, dark, twisted fantasy, yeah, Kanye. Absolute height of his powers. Yes. yes. And he, I, he kind of closes it out quickly. Uh, you know, we don't have to talk about We Are the World too much, but famously in the original We Are the World, Dan Aykroyd is in the chorus for no reason. Uh, oh. And I and I'm happy to report the 25th anniversary of We Are the World has Vince Vaughn uh, just hanging out in the chorus, very visible. And I'm glad they kept that weird slot open for a tall actor. Oh my gosh! But to me, that is like. All those songs, those are like kind of the recognizable Lionel Richie songs. Do you guys think I I was missing any? You kind of ran the gamut. I thought that was a pretty penny lover. I mean, you know. I have a soft spot for that one. It's a personal fave. Yeah, I don't think I hear I've heard that one, but it was a hit at the time. Like I said, he had a number of top 10 hits that I didn't even mention. Sadly, I don't think we hear Penny Lover that much anymore. Yeah. Let's go to the next category, classic albums. There's really of the Lionel Richie heyday, there are three albums. 1982's Self-Titled, which went to number three, went four times platinum. 1983's Can't Slow Down, which went to number one. And this is not just a Diamond album. This album went Diamond, but it is the first album to get Diamond certification. Oh, wow. And that happened in 1985. 
And, you know, albums that came before and after have sold more, but that that album got there first. And no other album was Diamond until 1991. Wow. So All right. he hit Diamond and there's a six-year stretch until, of course, Please Hammer, Don't Hurt Him. <laughs> it, it oh, Diamond oh. in 91. What do you think are? And then not until 1994 was there another one. Please hammer, don't hurt him. I'm sorry. I just need to take one second to just remember what it was mm-hmm. like to be alive during the heyday of MC Hammer. Because, In the early 90s were a fun time. Wow, what a time. Diamonds. What a time to be alive. Yeah, there was a okay. time when it, there were two people who had diamond albums and it was Hammer and, and Lionel Richie. Hammer and Lionel. Okay. All right. Thriller, Thriller didn't do it? That's amazing. Eventually it did. Oh, Eventually okay. it did but not at that point. And like a lot of albums have eventually sold a lot more than Can't Slow Down. It just took longer for whatever reason. Wow. And it really started happening more frequently for whatever reason in 1995. But it was 10 years before then, it was, there were only like three albums. And the third one was the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. Dang. Um, so that, the Can't Slow Down was unreal success. And then 1986, Dancing on the Ceiling went number one, four times platinum. And then after that, Outside of a Greatest Hits album in 1992, he stopped putting out music for a decade. You know, he was having these personal issues. You know, his marriage was falling apart. His father died. And then he started getting plagued by these throat issues. Oh, no. And there were some doctors who were like, you can't sing. And so that was like freaking him out. Eventually, he was able to like... I think it might have been a holistic doctor that like was able to help him with his throat problems. But yeah, from 86 to after 86, that Dance on the Ceiling album, and not until 1996 with Louder Than Words, was he able to come back. But by the time he came back, I mean, like the, the 80s were long gone and like kind of the Lionel moment was over. And, you know, he's after that, he's released six albums, which he, all of them have done fine. And I think that Tuskegee album in 2012 was like a big moment for him because that went platinum and into number one. And, you know, he was all able his fans to, are people who still buy music. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, which that's is a lot really of it helpful. But the crossover to the country audience, I think, was a savvy move and one that people have done as oh, I'm well. I'm seeing this Tuskegee also. So this is country duets of his other songs. Yeah, of his established hits. Certified country. country. Yeah. Okay, wow. Doing Endless Love with Shania. But yeah, he is. And so, but really when he cheated on his wife, because apparently that didn't turn out well. I think they were separated. Okay. Anyway. I mean, I don't know. It sounds like she was pretty upset if it happened. I don't know when, I don't know what the timeline is. And I'm I'm not, I'm not here to provide a timeline. I just, for me, I believe women. Um, (laughs) And I'm not here to excuse any any bad behavior potentially on the part of Lionel. Uh, Well, on her, it's not okay to be your husband. Yeah, no, I I would say no. I would say, I would would say no. We, we say, say stop the violence here, obviously. Yeah, that's that's our stance. We are a big <laughs> stop the violence podcast. We don't believe. Let's let's quit it. You know. Um, anyway, but the, the the three albums of like the golden era of Lionel Richie are self-titled, Can't Slow Down, Dancing on the Ceiling. Do you think any Lionel Richie album, this is a question posed to both of you, any Lionel Richie album is on the Rolling Stone list of the 500 greatest albums? No. 
I don't think it is, but if it was, I think it might, they love a, they love a debut. I think it might be the, the debut album. Mm -hmm. Lionel Richie self-titled from 1982. I'm going to say there's no way in hell. That's my answer. So on the Rolling Stone 500 greatest albums, there are no Lionel Richie albums. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like he is not. And this is let this is a perfect this is going transition into the, next category. into the next category, which is critical acclaim. The critics have not been super kind to Lionel Richie. I think to many of them, he is considered given that the type of music he makes, which doesn't have a lot of edge to it, he is especially coming from the Commodores, like sellout. And like this is these are songs for Pepsi commercials. And what do you know? Turns out they are. <laughs> yeah, but now we're in a world where that doesn't, you know, right. matter That's quite how as people much. release songs now. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. You know. But you know, guys, if Neil Diamond is in the rock hall, Lionel should be there. That's a good comparison. That is a really good comparison. Is Neil in the he's mm-hmm. in the hall? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. All right. Well then there you go. That is a good comparison. I think there is some respect it always feels begrudging though from the critics we've started doing this relatively recently but we're checking in with self-proclaimed dean of rock critics robert Criscow to see what he has to say if he is to represent a certain type of male rock critic and you know what not glowing but relatively uh even-handed to lionel and the quote i pulled is that lionel richie has a knack for tune that puts him over the fine line between lulling and boring. Hmm. Whoa, that's that's faint praise. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's like, yeah, he's he's giving him like B's, B pluses, that kind of thing. Which you know, I was expecting him to get eviscerated. So I think if we're calibrating, not too bad. But I think the industry though is a different story. You can mm. talk about how the critics don't like him, but in the space of eight years, from 1979 to 1986. He was nominated for Song of the Year at the Grammys six times. Wow. And he won in that final year with We Are the World. He won Album of the Year for Can't Slow Down and also Producer of the Year for that. He's beloved. He has a Kennedy Center Honors Mm -hmm. from 2017, Songwriters Hall of Fame in 1994. He is to be the Gershwin Prize recipient of 2022. Oh, dang. And the Gershwin Prize is really like cream of the crop excellence in in pop and then he has three oscar nominations say you say me won in 1986 for white knights and also endless love was for, nominated. for happy gilmore yes for, for, of course oh, for, yeah yeah for happy he got gilmore. nominated twice mm-hmm. it was that good uh but no he was nominated for the color purple that same year as white knights for a song called miss seeley's blues which i had no idea but he was miss seeley well, that's my Hey, last wait a second. It's your name. Yeah. Yeah. Spelled, spelled differently, but... I was like, he wrote the music in the musical The Color Purple, but now I'm seeing. Lionel is tight with Quincy Jones, and Quincy yes. did the music for the movie Color Purple, and so he, ha- he has a songwriting credit on that song. A well-decorated man, industry-wise. Well, here's a question. I mean, he's done so much outside of just singing. Do you, I mean, that definitely plays a factor into his candidacy, does it not? I mean, as a producer, songwriter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, for sure. It, it bolsters the candidacy, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, technically, you're supposed to just, in a perfect world, you're supposed to just think about the solo career output. But like you mentioned before, 
It's like impossible to compartmentalize that. You're thinking about the man. It's and, an and imperfect world we live in. So let's just roll with that. Here's a funny category, commercial success, LOL. LOL. <laughs> I mean, it's by some measurements and like, you know, it's before like a certain time in the 90s before SoundScan, it's kind of an imperfect, speaking of it being an imperfect world, it's imperfect measurement of records sold. But some counts are like that he has sold over 100 million records worldwide. Dang. I mean, he had the first album to go diamond, folks. 13 top 10 pop hits, five number ones. And there's just a lot of platinum and gold across these albums and singles. Yeah, I think this one's a slam dunk. Dang. He sold a lot, Lionel. a lot of records and especially impressive when you think about the next category, longevity. Now, I know he put out those records later, but when you think about peak imperial phase, Lionel Richie, it's 1982 to 1986. That's not long. And I didn't really realize that until... I was researching for this episode. It's a short period, and it, but it doesn't feel that short because he was on top of the world. Well, he's managed to kind of, he's had his renaissance or Richie-sance, mm-hmm. if you will. Ooh, all right. Um, people still love him. People still love those old tunes. It's not like the Rolling Stones are out there writing new hits. I mean, they obviously had a lot longer period where they were writing awesome songs, but they've thrown in the towel on writing tunes now, and they're, you know, Legacy acts are legacy acts, and Lionel's got a great legacy. Yeah, and it's, I think it's impressive that it, it's just in, in the space of five years. Yes. All, all of that. I mean, also, there's you do have to consider there's the Commodore's career where he was like writing some of his best work and introduced him to the public, which then allowed for the perfect on-ramp to... You're ramping up with the Commodore, so when your solo career starts, you're already a known thing, and you can be at the top at the very beginning. But, you know, the man stopped at kind of his height. No one really is like, what happened to that guy? Or remember Lionel Richie? Mm-hmm. Which you could say for a lot of acts who are only around, whose main discography was only five years, that definitely happens. But like, no, he was just, he was so on top, he was dancing on the ceiling. Here, Okay, I'm, I'm very curious about what we have to say about this next category, influence. Now, I guess I'm not sure, but the pop balladeer thing is something. But then also I'm like, if you influenced like Richard Marx, is that something you want to tell the hall? Is that, <laughs> is that something you want to keep secret? I don't know. I mean, it's like the adult contemporary thing. You know, I guess it feels like his influence is there, but I, I'm curious what, what you guys think. Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it with like Richard Marx being kind of like, well, I'm like, oh yeah, Richard Marx, also king of the 80s. But I mean, I can't say it's more like his influence was cultural more than musical with regard to kind of like the people who've come after him. I think he did kind of like pave a way for like, hey, it's okay to sell out. <laughs> you Again, know, not a great cultural legacy necessarily. But I also think, you know, he also is being friends with Quincy Jones and kind of what I would say the mainstreaming of black music has meant to the culture, I think is, mm-hmm. is important. That is, that's uh, a great point. But if we're talking about like a direct, well, and you know, I don't know, there's like a lot of smooth, I, to me, I'm like just thinking of his contemporaries. I'm like a Luther Vandross, like I'm trying to think of where we go from here. Like who did Lionel influence that is currently out there? Yeah, and I'm wondering like, do you think at all uh, Ed Sheeran is like- mm. 
you know, someone who writes his own kind stuff, of a balladeer. Mm-hmm. kind of a, kind of a balladeer, but also, you know, does up, up does tempo up pop. Tempo, yeah. Yeah. That might not be a bad choice. That's probably the best choice. I don't think he's influenced anyone. And I don't necessarily think that's a negative. I mean, I think sometimes people are just such singular artists that others are like, yeah, that guy does it about as well as it can be done. Mm-hmm. I'm not going there. There are influential acts and then there's just acts that stand by themselves. And I think Lionel's one of the latter category. Yeah. And, you know, I tried to search influence by Lionel Richie and the, the results I got were not maybe even worth. I mean, Wyclef Jean weirdly was like, I was very influenced by, like, I, I think there's a, there's a degree of like, people really respect the songwriting craft. And, and this connects to the next category, artistry slash skill. Because mm. while I think some people, when we think about critics, might try to dismiss the artistry as fluff, but goddamn does the man know how to write a pop song. And like that is the that songwriting skill is potentially like I mean like there are there are some great pop songwriters and he's he's up there in terms of being able to crank out songs that are massively popular and have that earworm quality to them. He's up there and consistent. Yeah, I I think that this is where he does really well. You know, I think this is like a part where I think that's where you're getting the respect from like other artists. And that's where kind of you're getting the begrudging better than the lull <laughs> respect. Well, from- it was that he was, he wasn't boring, but that his yeah. music lulls you in like a good way. I think was what was what elevated was. above. a. I don't know. It was an interesting. <laughs> the case is different if he doesn't write these songs. Yes. Yeah. I think this is where he does. All right. Also, this is a place where it's like, even if you don't like, his music necessarily you're like i respect that it is not easy to make there's like a wizardry yes like when you can make that many great pop songs like you are you are dealing with magic agree i agree too i mean another guy i'm now thinking of that is uh analogous to lionel now that you mentioned magic is barry manilow manilow magic Mm. i mean those are guys that just kind of stand by themselves and do their thing regardless of what the trends are and do it very, very well. Yeah, let's put Manilow in the hall. <laughs> hey, man, I'm, have- I'm all in. That was my first concert when I was five years old. You know what I think it, about Barry Manilow that really chaps my ass is that he didn't write I Write the Songs. <laughs> <laughs> that is, he should, be, he should be kicked out of music for that. <laughs> How dare you? Written by... Bruce Johnston, a member of the Beach Boys, who was not inducted with the Beach Boys, but should have. Wow. That's, that's a bit of a, a, bit of a high a horse. That's a little interesting. Is that because Mike Love is such a prick that he wouldn't let him do it? Potentially, but this was also in the era of the, of the hall when or they were really kind of almost fetishizing original members, and Bruce Johnston was not mm. an original Beach Boy. Ah, okay. mm. But I still think he was with them for such a long time that he definitely should have been considered. All right, final category, potentially the most important category, speaks to cultural ubiquity. Does my mom know who they are? And she does. Everyone's mom knows yeah, who Lionel there's Richie no is. There's no way that I, I wouldn't even need to ask my mother. Of course, she knows who Lionel Richie is. She's a living, breathing person. Yes, 100%. I mean, and she's not in Gen Z. I think millennials and above know who Lionel Richie is. 
I don't know the gen. I, I don't know if he has like a TikTok sound that's making the rounds or anything, but like, I don't think that the majority of the the true youth culture knows who. Well, do they watch American Idol still? That was my question. Was do their parents watch American Idol? Ooh, I mean, I don't know. That could be the deciding if factor their for that generation. Are millennials, probably not. If their parents, you know or what Gen I mean? X, I yeah. Or Gen X, they might. Well, you know. No Gen Zers vote uh, for the Rock Hall, so <laughs> we that don't have true. to. Oh no, I just mean like I know, yes, with like relevance for sure. Like, can, can, like talking about cultural ubiquity, yeah. it's not that I in any right. way think no, that. No, no, no. Gen, Z, Gen, Z Gen Zers, Gen Zers in Iraq are all over. Yeah, they're huge. Likely, huge there. likely. The Zoomers right. of Iraq can't. The Iraqi get Zoomers. <laughs> All right, it's time for our verdict. Should Lionel Richie be in the Rock Hall? Will he? And will it be this year? And we'll start with Kristen. You know, I came into this being like pretty lukewarm on the old, the rich man. Uh, And I still, I mean, I would say the water has heated up considerably. I'd say it's fully at a simmer right now. I wouldn't call it a rolling boil. Hot tub level. But I do think, I do think he should get in. Just making the Neil Diamond point in particular is was very effective with me. And just also really looking at the songs that are just his solo songs that I think are good songs and that were important to people and really stood out at the time. And and were not just a flash in the pan necessarily the way an MC Hammer would be. Uh, So yeah, I do think he should get in. I think he absolutely is probably going to get in this year. It would be surprising if he didn't and I will feel just fine about it. He's one of the people who seems to be pretty likely to get in this year that I am not as excited about, but I bet I'll feel differently if and when we see him play. Cause I bet he's really fun and it really might, you know, it might turn it up to a boil. We'll see. Thank you, Kristen. Mike, same question. Should he, will he, and will it be this year? hundred percent should. He's an amazing live performer and God, you guys almost got me to saying he will But, and I hope I'm wrong here, I do not think he'll get in this year. And eventually, sure, two, three years down the road, perhaps, I think he'll kind of wear people out. But um, (laughs) you can't slow down. I I know. (laughs) I think think he'll reach the ceiling. No, I think, uh, I don't think he'll get in this year, guys. And God damn it, I hope I'm wrong. All right. Well, you know, I think he should. I think he's almost too big to fail. Like, I think to deny him these laurels would be intentionally looking the other way. Like, this guy was on top of the world and putting out massive hit after massive hit after massive hit. And songs that he wrote, which I know the Hall in particular likes. I want it to be the Commodores. I, I you know, and, and that might be personal taste coming into... This, I prefer the Commodore's catalog. I just think it's it's more fun. And also, if you induct the Commodore's, Lionel Richie gets in that way too. I just really worry that those other guys, and I believe all of them are still with us. It would just suck if Lionel got in solo and then we either never induct the Commodore's or we induct them 
And like a few of them are no longer with us because it's like five or 10 years down the road. Not to say that like, I think that's going to happen that soon, but who knows? It would just be a bummer if at some point we do eventually get around to it and we could have put them in and we didn't. And it's not the celebration. It could have been the Commodores have not reunited with Lionel ever. And it has been promised from Lionel himself. I mean, like it, the topic has come up and it seems like there's interest there. And to me, it seems like the type of thing that could happen at the Rock Hall because those types of things happen all the all time right. at the yeah. Rock Hall. I just would like to see all of them get that honor because, the, you know, Lionel still gets the honor too. You know what I mean? And then if you want to mm-hmm. induct Lionel solo, if you feel like that's important, you can do that as well. But you also don't necessarily have to because he will also already have gotten in. So that's kind of how I feel about it. I think it's going to be this year just because I think his name recognition is is so high. But I do think he's vulnerable because I think there's going to be a lot of critics who will not be able to stomach voting for him. But I think there's a but I think in the industry, which there's a lot of industry people who vote, I think he's very well liked. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say Lionel Richie gets in this year. Who inducts Lionel Richie? Who gives the speech? And I have a I have a long list of names here uh, that I think could be contenders. But I'm curious, Mike, what do you think? Diana Ross. That's number one on my list. Yeah, I mean I, that that's who does it to me. I, I don't have a, a number two. I think that's that's automatic. Yeah. The only reason why I think it might not be Diana Ross is I could see her being like, nah, not for Lionel, but for the hall, like not number, wanting to show well, up. I have a number two is Kenny Rogers holograms. <laughs> He would have been great, right? It's funny, like in a year where Dolly and Lionel are both likely to get in that Kenny, we just lost Kenny recently. But yeah, Diana Ross makes a lot of sense. Hello, cool, Jay. (laughs) I I, I think Quincy Jones. Oh, yeah, good one. Quincy's a good one. But also, yeah, it's like, do you go a few different ways here? It's like, do you go with the legendary acts, even if they're kind of getting up there. Quincy's no spring chicken. I don't know. I just saw that documentary and he just seems like he's still full of piss and vinegar. Yeah, you he's, know? Pre- he's like- pretty sharp. I also just don't know if Quincy is the marquee name that the hall wants though. Yeah. For something like this. The only other kind of legend status person kind of from the old school that I think would do it and would be good and has inducted people before is Stevie Wonder. Mm. I know he he and and Lionel are buds. Would they have the clay bus from Hello out there for Stevie? <laughs> or sorry, I'm hoping Stevie makes a new clay bus. Yeah, oh. in honor. Oh my god, no! If they make Stevie, Stevie Wonder, if they make Stevie Wonder do a fucking bit with Lionel about the Hello bus, I touching actually, his face. Yeah, that I would really, kill. I like feel like Stevie Wonder has it's like undignified. <laughs> Uh, having fun doing a bit is fun for me but i'm like stevie wonder to me he seems above it you know oh no stevie's like a prankster is he a prankster okay and i was listening to lionel talk about stevie being a prankster they they were going to listen to some music and stevie was like i want to play you this cassette and then so they went to the car and stevie sat in the in the front seat and like put the tape in like here let's listen to this and stevie put the car in reverse and then turned (laughs) around like he was looking and then was like haha gotcha you're playing into the whole conspiracy theory that he can actually see (laughs) (laughs) that's a that's a very fun one and then kind of of the new school you know someone that comes up really two names that come up a lot 
that could we always say could induct anyone pharrell williams there's 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 maybe someone who's like inheriting the throne a bit from lionel in terms of being like a a great songwriter but i think they'll use pharrell for some i'm like pharrell could literally induct anyone and i think they'll save him for more like inductees that need a little pharrell bump yeah right yeah he's like a last resort you know he'll show up he's on the board so like if no one else does it, Pharrell can do it. But then another one, and this is maybe a little surprising, but I did mention that Lionel's in Studio 666, but Grohl is a big Lionel Richie fan. That'd be cool. Interesting. And it would be a, a kind of unexpected person to do it. And another person who's very deeply involved in the machinations of the of the Rock Hall. What about either together or separate his American Idol co-host, Katy Perry or Luke Bryan? They don't seem that tight to me when I watch that show. I don't know. Luke Bryan, maybe. I mean, he was part of the whole Lionel country thing. Yeah, and I was he, he performed at the, the Kennedy Center. It, it would just yeah, bum the, me out if it was like someone who wasn't as famous as Lionel Richie. Do you know what I mean? And I guess Luke Bryan to me is like not that. Well, he inducted the Doobie Brothers in, in you know, in the pandemic special. Again, but... and that's Jay, they got that's what they, they got. It's fine, <laughs> you know? Yeah, but you know, Katy Perry's, she suggested Lionel for the gig at American Idol. Oh, and then Lionel suggested Luke Bryan. So, you know, there, there is some. Okay. So maybe they are pals some degree, but who knows? Oh, you know? I have a, I, I have kind of a long shot. How about Mickey Guyton? I mean, you get the, the country thing. She's, you know, an artist that's definitely on the rise. She's yeah, African-American she performed last year for the Tina tribute. Mm-hmm. She kicks ass. And I could see that maybe being kind of a long shot candidate. Yeah, I think she still quite doesn't have the the name recognition that that the hall wants. But you know, definitely, on, we know she's on the the hall's radar. She did what's love got to do with it at the last ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, another person who I think you might say is kind of a, a Lionel Richie of his day, John Legend. Ooh, Ooh. Well, and I also like that seems like a hall choice. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I like it, Joe. That's a good one. And then outside of the music world, there's some people that are Lionel Richie fans. One of the few people interviewed for Lionel Richie's Behind the Music, there are not a lot of celebrities or either other musicians in his Behind the Music, but you know who gets a lot of FaceTime for no real reason? Halle Berry. Oh, if they could get Halle Berry, pull an Angela Bassett on the, on the induction, just go full Maya Angelou for some reason. Uh Okay. 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 And so Halle Berry seems to love Lionel Richie and another person who really loves Lionel Richie, Jamie Foxx. Oh, he's an animated guy who would probably give a really good speech. I mean, I, I, I like the idea of a Lionel Richie biopic starring Jamie Foxx, although, you know, he probably doesn't go back to that well. Yeah, yeah, and also he's yeah, he's probably a little old at this point to play Lionel from the uh, Lionel's heyday. And then my last pick is deeply personal, Nicole Richie. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, that would really I could see that really happening. Just because you know she can give a perspective uh, like no one could. So How about so. Sophia, though, I mean, you're gonna have the battle of the maybe both the offspring. Although Nicole's adopted, right? So. But could happen. Got the we last name, and she's quite. Uh, both, both of them together could do it, you know. It, yeah, absolutely. Usually, an artist plays three songs at their induction. What do you guys think is the perfect three-song set for Lionel to play at his induction? You obviously start with "Hello." You have. I, I hey, get. So you have to say "Hello." No, you have to start with "Hello." I just hello. think it's too. It's too slow to start with. 
I think you put hello second. I think you have to start with a with a I more think up-tempo. It's funny though. I just think it's like he sits funny. down at the piano. Yeah, I everyone and just start and it. says hello. Because it's a very pop, it's his second most popular song, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I think it'd be funny. Everyone just would enjoy it. He sits yeah, down, to open he with says hello. hello. Is it me you're looking for? I mean, <laughs> he gets it, he's gay. It's it works to me. It's a it's it's a no-brainer. Mike, what do you think? What's what is what is the the perfect three song set for Lionel? I think running with the night. As the audio opener. Clip. Yeah. Yeah, he likes to open with that on the on the road, and it, yeah. it definitely has it has some rock in it. it. Has like that Steve Lukather guitar solo. So, and then you know, I think we go uh, all night long next. In my opinion, that's a closer. But a closer. yeah, I know I'm, 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 I was kind of you know waffling on that, but I I think he closes with a little little Commodore's tribute and does easy at the end. Yeah, he likes playing easy, but I I get the sense he doesn't go to the Commodore as well. Uh, And and my guess is that the producers of the ceremony would discourage it, thinking that the Commodores would get inducted at some point. But I mean, listen, they they literally can do whatever they want. When George Harrison was inducted, they just just played Beatles songs. So Yeah. yeah, in my opinion, Christy, make a good point about hello. I was thinking you are hello all night long. Yeah, I think you do just, you swap hello and you are. In my it's opinion. almost a, a sentence. Hello, you are all night long. <laughs> hello, you are running with the night all night long. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you can really put together a nice little Yeah, if you got for... a four song set. Put a paragraph together if we want to. I'll Hell yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully we will see Lionel get inducted this year. And we will report back any, in any world, Mike, would you go to the induction ceremony to see Lionel get inducted? Oh, fuck yeah. Automatic, for sure. Oh, hell yeah. If, if Annie will volunteer a guest room for me. And he's my friend, game. my friend. It's in L.A. this year. It's in L.A. this year. All right. Well, I got friends there, too. So good. Yeah. I'm <laughs> it's, a, it's a much cheaper flight. Right. Yeah. yeah. From Washington State, for sure. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. This was a lot of fun. And thank you for loving Lionel the way that you do. I want to give you the, uh, the chance to plug away whatever you would like to uh, let people know about, whether it's your social media or your work or whatever. Well, sure. You can follow me at MD Seely, S-E-E-L-Y on Twitter. And I write for a pair of websites, mainly one's US Bets. The other is Sports Handle about sports betting, which is rapidly becoming more and more legal and out of the shadows in the United States and is a lot of fun if you keep it under control. <laughs> Great message to get out there to the yeah. people. Well, our listeners know they can follow us at Rock Call Pod on Twitter and Instagram, rockhallpod at gmail.com is the email. If you want Kristen to see that, you need to designate that somewhere in your message. Otherwise, I'm not forwarding it and she doesn't want to see it. Uh, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us. Give us a nice little rating and a review. But if it's less than five, <laughs> I'll be upset. We'll all be upset. Five stars only. Thank you to Mike Lloyd for the logo. Thank you to Yusuke Kim for the music. Thank you to Pantheon Podcast for hosting us. I'm Joe Quazala. I'm Kristen Studdard. And who cares about the Rock Hall? It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.